0: The race is on and Formula One pre-season testing is two-thirds over with Mercedes predictably bouncing back from yesterday's troubles to top the timesheet's courtesy of Valtteri Bottas but not before Lewis Hamilton had visited the gravel trap. I'm Ed Straw and to discuss all the news from Bahrain are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. But before we get on to testing we had the sad news shortly before recording of the passing of the legendary Murray Walker. Formula One commentator and motorsport commentator extraordinaire an intrinsic part of the soundscape of formula 1 and motorsport for so many years mark Hughes, what are your memories of murray oh he was just a wonderful
1: warm lovely man and of course um everybody knows the the, the soundscape that you reference and it's it's how um people of a certain generation uh, remember falling in love with formula 1 um is to, to his accompaniment but um when you know, when, when i started began to get involved in the sport and uh, had the privilege of knowing him. It was just such a a great thing to discover what a, what a lovely man he was in person. And, um, I, 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 he was a master of his craft, but he was also so self deprecating about, you know, his own, um, foibles and he used to incorporate it and and just, it was hilarious. And, uh, I recall there was a, there was a phase in the early two thousands where I was, um, Traveling to the European Grand Prix with a couple of colleagues, and we'd um, we'd bought a motorhome between us, and uh, and he was intrigued. Murray was intrigued by this story, and he he kept you know asking where we'd you know where, where we'd been and where where was it was being kept, and he was he wanted to be kept up to date on how the journey went and where we'd been to, and and uh, we were walking back. I don't know we'd 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 been for dinner somewhere the the three of us, and there was this. S class Merc pulled alongside us, and the chauffeur driven, and the back window came down. It was Murray, and he was offering us a lift back, you know, to wherever we'd we'd left the, the motorhome. And uh, he said, "No, it's all right, Murray. We're we're nearly there." But but thanks anyway. And um <laughs> as, as the car pulls away, he he does a full Murray impersonation of himself and he says, And there they go off to their camper van. <laughs> it's just uh, you know, that, that was just him. He was uh, he was lovely, just a great character and yeah. And uh, yeah, it it's 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 it seems difficult to imagine imagine him, him not being there because he's just for everyone, every motor racing fan, I'm sure he's just he's been a um, a presence during that whole
0: time. Fantastic that the reality lived up to the legend, Scott Mitchell. Obviously, you're a fair bit younger, so you didn't have the privilege of, of working or travelling alongside Murray Walker, shall we say? But still had an impact on you.
2: Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's testimony to Murray as a as a person and as a professional. He's one of the is one of those who spans generations for for different reasons. Um, for for me, I actually associate Murray more with British touring cars than than, than Formula One because he was um, he was the soundtrack to the VHS tapes that I would binge watch as a kid. Uh, my dad always used. To, I think it was I think my dad would come home with um, he he bought a series of the season reviews. So I think it was '94 through to '98, the British Touring Car Championship. And I just watched them as a kid. I think I, I watched each of them several times. I probably wore the tape out on them. And and obviously Murray, along with uh, Steve Ryder, did, did the majority of those that I, that I listened to. And they, they were part of my absolute favorite memories as a kid, discovering the world of motorsport and just reveling in the pageantry of it. And I actually last year bought... Uh, the digital downloads of every 90s uh, BTCC season review and started watching them when the pandemic put the F1 season on hiatus and what I liked about that was I could finally appreciate just how much Murray contributed to those reviews being so good and so entertaining because season reviews are or can fundamentally be quite a sort of fast pace and and and, and everything but you they do need an extra layer to be properly engaging and I've realized last year that Murray was such a huge part of that and given what those videos mean to me as an example I'm just I I, I'm glad I've now actually come to realize the part he played in that and I've got to be grateful for that I think I think it's amazing that you consider it's been what two decades since he was a full-time commentator but the passion that he had for it meant that he was still kicking around in different capacities and <clears throat> cropping up as a guest with a guest appearance or something until what, only a few years ago, I'd imagine. So he's just, it just feels like he's just, he just stayed around to the very end, didn't he? And I, I think the outpouring of love and and, and respect and admiration for him It's, as it's been said by a few people in a few different ways, but it is akin to a beloved, successful, famous driver passing away, isn't it? Um, And that just goes to show just how special Murray was. He was every bit as big a star to me anyway,
0: as the drivers were in my formative years. I remember the first Grand Prix I went to as a fan. As a 16-year-old, I remember bumping into him in the pit lane at Manicor. I had pit lane walkabout tickets, and he was in there and got his autograph and a photo with him. I was massively excited about that because I was an aspiring motorsport journalist at, at that time. So he, he was kind of a, an idol in 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 that regard. But I think it's obviously very sad when something like this happens, but my overwhelming feeling is I just feel like giving him a standing ovation and saying bravo because not only has he been such a big part of a sport that he loved. But he's also had an unimaginable, unquantifiable impact on the enthusiasm and passion of so many in the English-speaking world, probably measured in the millions. And he'll have played a part in fermenting my enthusiasm for it through watching on television and through countless others. And I think the fact that he's able to do that makes such a great impression as as a person to, to those who knew him and make his mark on a sport he loved, I think, is just absolutely incredible. So yeah, it's like the standing ovation at the end of a great innings in a in a test match. Just incredible job. And his his voice, is the sound, that piercing noise that accompanies certainly in my memory, so many of the great moments. It's every bit as much of the the soundscape as as the wailing engines is it's it's his voice. It's just it's just such a big part of it, and that'll echo for a very, very long time. But of course, he loved Formula One and he'd love to know what was going on in Formula One testing. So appropriately enough, we are going to move on to Formula One testing. I can only apologise that my my hosting work on this podcast won't be quite up to the broadcasting standards of Murray Walker. I say not quite up to, nowhere near, of course. But in Bahrain, less sandstormy day here. Valtteri Bottas fastest, 1 minute 30.289 with a lap late on on the softest compound, the C5s. Pierre Gasly second for Alfa 0.124 seconds slower. Then Lance Stroll third for Aston Martin, 0.171 seconds down. But of course, headline times don't tell you much. Mark, you've been crunching the numbers all day long in hope of a slightly more meaningful picture. So can you put a little more meat on the lap time bone, please?
1: A little bit, a little bit more than yesterday. Um, It was frustrating in um, one sense today in that... Although we saw the um, the true potential of the Mercedes, which was hidden yesterday, Red Bull did a completely different program, and really um, we were just um, basing it around getting miles for, um, for Sergio Perez, and they they didn't do a you know any any qualifying simulations or anything like that. So there's still we still didn't get that direct comparison between what you know what looked the best car of yesterday to to the the, the on Full song and it, it took a while to to tune in um, but it, uh, it 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 got there eventually um but in terms of uh, what what the picture looks like um I, there's a, I've done a piece on uh, on the race dot com and what i've tried to do is apply uh, gary anderson's calculations on um, fuel fuel weight and where he he uh, calculated the differences based on last year's testing to the fir- to the first races or the, the and the year before i think as well and implying a um, a deriving a, a fuel weight uh, that they use for testing what, what their baseline fuel weight is and mercedes typically doesn't send a car out with anything less than about 60 kilos and the other teams are in varying degrees a little bit lighter than that typically um, so I've just applied that filter to it and then a few more based on the tires and what uh, what stage of the day the, the 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 various runs were made. And when you do all that, um the picture looks remarkably similar <laughs> remarkably familiar, let's say. Um and it's uh, it it it's got
0: it's got the cars in about way you'd expect to see them based on last year. Yeah, I guess that shouldn't really be a big surprise and in fact yeah, your numbers seem to match Gary's because he sent me through a few things he's been uh, crunching and that's come out again with that same familiar picture. But hopefully tomorrow we'll get a little bit more of an accurate read on on everything. But yeah, I don't think we can expect anything transformative. But Scott, Mercedes, still some question marks there. Another Mercedes gearbox problem, albeit on the Aston Martin of Sebastian Vettel. Mercedes is bottom of the, the mileage chart. In fact, the four Mercedes engine teams are the bottom four in terms of of laps covered. I don't think we want to overstate too much how problematic that is, but all is not perfect for Mercedes. We saw Lewis Hamilton off in the gravel. So how do we think they're actually doing? We know the
2: paces in the car. Is it just a few little bumps in the road and that's what happens in testing? Um, I'm I'm not really sure. They're obviously going to have more performance than they've shown so far, although obviously Bottas did top the times in the end today um they're it, they're obviously in better shape a lot better shape than they were 24 hours ago uh, i think they've had a much better second day um i think the fact that the gearbox problem came out of nowhere and it's a tried and tested 2020 design it has to be cause for concern to some degree Especially as they can't do a full scale investigation until next week, which is obviously after testing, so it's still just that little bit of a of an unknown. And the suggestion was that the the issue that grounded Vettel and Aston Martin in the morning uh, was a separate one. So I I don't know what that means. Um, my one of my theories was is this. Indicative of an issue mating the 2020 gearbox with the 2021 power unit, but I guess the counter argument to that would be that probably the or potentially the Mercedes would have suffered just more problems on Monday uh, Friday afternoon and again all day today, but it didn't. Um, so so it's difficult, I guess, if we take their optimism as the 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 eventual outcome and just say it's an anomaly then obviously it all comes down to car performance and what they're doing but as, as we saw today there, there is still this instability at the at the rear of the car lewis said that uh he felt that there was a combination of just the car being inherently a little bit skittish and the the, the wind catching him out with that with that spin i think the wind did like a 180 degree turn today compared to yesterday and i think a few of the drivers commented that it did was catching them out at, at times but Bottas did say at the end of the day that the the rear end is lively um, and it is challenging so part of their work has been to try to calm it down and that will continue to be the case tomorrow so my uh my sort of basic conclusion from that is that Mercedes is slightly paying the price for not doing a a shakedown but Uh, it's very easy to say in in hindsight that that gearbox problem occurs that uh, the the shakedown instead Um, my guess is that they felt that they were sufficiently covered by the customer team shaking down the end the the, the engine design that they didn't need to Uh, and I would also suggest that they're just doing some balance optimization work getting used to the um, the changes that they've made on the car to handle the new aero rules Um, I think Lewis definitely, as I said, sort of suggesting that the the, the car isn't quite planted. He feels that it is looser at the rear with this this new floor, with the slightly pared back downforce and the different solutions to try to gain that performance back. So yeah, it's just just, they're two-thirds of the way through testing. Even though there's only one day left, they are only two-thirds of the way through testing. So I guess you could put down a few of their struggles to just a lack of track time you know and and that's the thing one issue breeds another doesn't it if you've got a reliability problem you don't get on track you have less time on track to iron out the kinks and was it 2018 that uh they went into the final day scratching their heads and behind Ferrari and then basically pulled it out of the locker on the at, the at the very end of of testing and got the, got their performance in order basically so we know that when the chips are down they're they they're, they're capable of it so I wouldn't be surprised if you're back here in 24 hours' time recording another podcast saying, oh, look at that, Mercedes have completed the turnaround and they go into the season opener as favourites.
0: Well, Mark Hughes, among the other Mercedes engine teams, Aston Martin had both drivers out today. Lance Stroll was up there in, in third place. Do you think that they're looking well set to be at the front of that midfield group? They were the fastest car on average last year in that pack. Do you think they can be again?
1: Uh, yes, I think there can be. Um, I think it, it, it looks, when you actually crunch through the numbers, it looks very, very close with McLaren um, for that um, status. But, yeah, given given that, you know, they only really got half a day at it because of the, the, the transmission problem in the morning for Seb, um, I think to emerge from that in a, as, strong as the, strongly as they did um, suggests that it's uh, basically, you know, it's gonna, it's going to it's going to start where it left off from last year and maybe even build from there.
0: Well that's good news for Sebastian Vettel, but less good news Scott is the fact that Vettel hasn't had a huge amount of track time even considering the short amount of running.
2: No, um he he was sort of talking about having a a very productive first day in the car um and then 24 hours later found himself saying the exact opposite. Um I think how how many laps did he manage um, in total in, in in the morning? I think he had half a dozen, didn't he? Before the yeah,
1: only one of them was a proper flying lap.
2: Yeah, and and he, even then he ended up with a an unrepresentative lap time compared to to everybody else. So this was a it was a write off for for Seb who, and this is the crazy thing about this condensed testing schedule is that they go in one in 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 one blow of a morning, Sebastian's just lost one third of his his testing mileage in the new team. So. It is a setback um how big a setback will depend ultimately on how good uh, the final day is and, and what he can recover, but he was he he's been very very keen not to um to to undersell the difficulty of uh of switching teams. He's talked constantly about how different everything is and how much there is to learn. I think Carlos signs actually put it really well. Um, after his first day testing the the Ferrari when he said that he sort of understood the basics but he doesn't know he needs to learn the tricks basically and uh, I think Seb's in a similar position with um, with the Aston so he now needs to he now needs to get laps on, under his belt because the team will be able to you know, restructure its program and try and buy back that half a day and tick off the stuff it needs to do to have a productive test as a team but there's only so much that Seb can glean from sort of Lance's data and the team simulations and stuff like that. He's got to understand the the, the nuances of this car, and it just really isn't enough time to do that already. So losing one of his three half days is a is a setback.
0: That was always going to be a problem for a few drivers, particularly with so many changing teams. So he's evidently drawn the short straw on that one. McLaren, there's quite a bit of excitement about some good pace from Ricardo. I think he was. Quick and quickest in the morning Lando Norris was fourth at the end of the day so Mark Mclaren Mercedes there were question marks over adapting to the power unit and installing it in a in a carryover car but I think we can probably say that mclaren has not lost a great deal out of doing that so they've that they're on solid ground heading into the season aren't they
1: yeah they've hit the ground running they've obviously done a, a superbly um competent job in um incorporating that new power unit into their car and it's um it's been reliable it's been drivable and they've been able to get on with their program and it's been quite a, an impressive from an operational point of view um maybe the most impressive team um out there I think in, in in these first two days
0: yeah which is no bad thing considering the power unit change that was going to create some problems they of course did have too promotional days of running at Silverstone by way of a shakedown so that helped them obviously there was a little bit of interest in McLaren's diffuser slightly different approach to others I think perhaps it's been overstated how how trick it is because of the the regulations covering the the vertical strikes at the rear that have to be 50 millimeters shorter that doesn't apply in the center part which is 250 millimeters either side of the uh, center line of the car so you can do more there and although there's some restrictions there's a there's a radius rule for the shape of what it can be below the reference plane there everything that they've done there actually looks pretty much like how you might sketch it out from just reading the geometries and the regulations so I'm not sure that's necessarily anything particularly extraordinary but it is interesting in that they've gone a little bit different to some of the others we may get Gary Anderson to talk a bit more about that tomorrow but what we can be sure of is that that McLaren is uh, a pretty a pretty tidy car how's Daniel Ricciardo getting on there
2: yeah I think he's really happy I think uh, he uh, feels that McLaren couldn't really have had a better start to to testing. they've they've been getting through their work nicely they've they've been reliable Um, they look pretty quick the the thing that Daniel's lacking is uh, some some evening running that allows him to sort of push the performance envelope of the car a little bit more and actually understand um sort of exactly what it's like when it's more on the, on the limit i think that's what he's really excited to sort of get into if he can um but he was he he was looking he was looking very happy um actually after the after the second day we had a brief chat with him and he he's still talking about little things here and there that he's adjusting to. Do you remember when he switched from Red Bull to Renault? It took quite a while for him to sort of get fully on top of the brakes. He obviously was uh, those famous late-breaking manoeuvres that he just did so well in the Red Bull. He he, he didn't quite have that confidence in, in the Renault. He says he's feeling a bit of a difference in the braking again with the McLarens. So I think that's something he still needs to still needs to adjust to. But I would say... Of the drivers I've heard from so far, he feels like the one who is... He just feels like the one who's most bedded in. He feels like the one who isn't stressing about not being ready. And I've, I have i feel like if we had the Bahrain Grand Prix tomorrow, I feel like Daniel would be pretty close to getting 100% out of what the McLaren has to offer.
0: That's going to be what tomorrow is all about, isn't it? Really getting to feel what the cars are like. Quite a few drivers seem fairly happy. I spoke to Pierre Gasly uh, after running today. A rare chance to actually speak to a driver in person, albeit with the social distancing and masks and everything and all the COVID protocol, but in the uh, the, the mix zone, as they call it, are able to have a chat to him. He seems pretty content with the way the car's going. said they've still got some work to do to understand how to get it in the, the right setup for rebalancing it with the impacts of the aero changes. He feels like the team's done a pretty good job with it, but they just need to kind of understand it one hundred percent so that they can get those those few tenths in terms of attacking the the corner entry. So he seemed pretty content, which is encouraging. Charles Leclerc as well seemed relatively happy. Ferrari's a little bit of a a curate's egg so far, so to speak, in uh, in testing. There's sort of times when there seems to be some optimism, times less so. So what do you think, Mark? Ferrari look okay, don't they, but maybe nothing to write home about
1: yeah maybe marginally better than they were looking last, last year without the an inherent you know glaring um sort of uh, lacking in any any particular area but uh, yeah a little bit a little bit behind the eight ball even even within that um midfield group i would say um it's yeah it's not doing it doesn't look like it's doing anything particularly badly It's just it's um, you know it's not just doesn't look to have the edge of um, the 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 rivals that it's going to have to be um, competing against to uh, if it's got any hope of uh, being in the top three
0: at the end of the year. Yeah, Leclerc did say that it was better than last year, but not by how much. But he did also say that the cars in line with what they were expecting. But that kind of tallies with what we're hearing about the engine gains they'd made in that there's gains, but it's not not close to enough to make up the the deficit so yeah when it when it comes to the power unit side it's not looking brilliant incidentally I should say coming back to Gasly he was being very effusive about the Mercedes engine cars even the the Williams for example you might expect to be a bit a little bit less competitive he was uh he was talking up so evidently Mercedes step has once again caught the eye of, of some of the uh the other engine suppliers which is uh probably not good news for anyone who doesn't have a an engine from mercedes in the in the back of their car mentioning sergio perez we haven't really heard a great deal from him mark but talking about getting mileage for him to settle in do we do we have a particular feel for how comfortable he is it's quite hard to tell yeah based um, on the information we've got he looks all right but
1: yeah he looks okay he looks as though he's making progress but i wouldn't say he's attuned to the car yet um what we're hearing from um feedback from people who have spoken to him at the, when he first tried it was he, he, he said he, it did feel a very positive car at the front, much more positive than what he'd been used to, which is <laughs> sounds very much like um, something Alex Alban would have said or Pierre Gasly before that. So, um, and he's early, early running this morning. He, he did look a little bit messy. He did, did look as though he wasn't in tune with the car. Um, he kept, He'd be running wide, um, getting running wide of an apex, and then if he got the apex, he'd be running wide on the exit. It just all looked a little bit ragged, like he wasn't really keyed into it. Um, but it, that did by the end of the day, that looked a lot better visually. It looked a lot better. Um, where he was on outright pace, very difficult to say. We, I mean, he did a very consistent, sort of decent looking long run, um, but. Yeah, that's that's not that's not going to be where he's going to be judged. I think, and we we all know he can, uh, you know, pull out a a, a very good, consistent uh, race stint and look after the tires and do a different strategy and make it work. That's not that's not going to be in doubt. What's what he's really going to be judged on and what he's really going to be up against is um, that last edge of raw speed and qualifying in a, a car that um, could have been and might have been tailor made for max verstappen. uh so that's you know, it's always going to be the basis for comparisons. so yeah, i he didn't give the appearance of, a, of being there yet. um you know it, i certainly wouldn't describe it the way that um uh, Scott's just described daniel's acclimatization, but um yeah, definitely making progress. um just a question of uh, how much progress he can make um, from where he
0: is. Talking of acclimatisation, Scott, working our way down towards the less fashionable end of the time sheets. Not much expected of Haas this year, but from what you've said, Mick Schumacher's having a lovely time.
2: Yeah, he's 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 really it's actually quite sweet. Um I don't know I don't know what your two respective experiences of Mick have been, but in in the brief opportunities I've had to speak to him, he's never been anything but polite and well mannered, but he's never really been um particularly forthcoming He's just a bit restrained not really sort of one to uh get carried away am i am i doing him a disservice does that sound familiar no, that's to you about right.
1: That? yeah um he's very measured but uh, polite and yeah. genuine but measured i would say yeah
2: there was yeah. there was a
0: brief spark after his fp1 run in abu dhabi when I was asking him about it, because I'd listened in on his radio and he just, he'd just he offered a radio message on his first run of just general enthusiasm about it, which I asked him about. And he just sort of said, well, I was just having a good time. But he, he then slipped back into the ultra professional and not not bad, but not, not kind of showing that, that emotion. So it does sound like he's a, a step beyond that today from what you've said.
2: Yeah, he is, absolutely. So I, I actually, I really enjoyed the opportunity to speak to him this evening because it was, he had a, he had quite a lot to say and a lot of it was of of, of value. He talked about a range of things. It was int- it was amusing hearing an F1 driver speak about how much they enjoyed the tires and being able to push on them quite hard because obviously he's been racing in Formula 2. Uh, uh he he was not particularly kind about the Formula 2 tires. Um but it was also it was it was interesting hearing him talk about how much fun he has had learning just how uh, just what tools you have to work with live behind the wheel of an f1 car and he says just, just being able to make changes and then feel the change immediately uh, i get the feeling that's something a driver like mick is going to really really thrive on because we know that he's very methodical he's very hard working very diligent and i think he will be very good at understanding the different tools at his disposal to make a car quicker for him during a stint for example um he he was referring to sort of like in life in formula two you basically you have nothing to change and what you've got at that moment in time is what you've got to to deal with so he was he it was interesting hearing him sort of talk about how this has basically given him a new perspective of how to drive a formula one car and then he just basically got carried away and how much he's enjoying it he said you know that he's having so much fun driving the car here um that he, yeah, he'd do, he'd drive every day if he could because it's been amazing. Ready to go racing tomorrow. Um, so I asked him. Uh, I, 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 I was I wasn't intending to be unfair, but I just was curious. So I asked him um, basically why he was so excited um, because he seemed incredibly excited. And I I joked and said that normally when we speak to drivers at the end of a day of F1 testing, this is not the reaction we get to be honest and I'll I'll read out his answer because he said uh, I have to say it feels even better driving this car than I expected this is really fun and it's something I won't get as quickly bored of I'm just really looking forward to driving more tomorrow and then the race weekend can't come quick enough so I'm really looking forward to this season I would love to drive every day I could put another day I could put another eight days on it and then just go straight into the race weekend he just Honestly, he just sounds like he's having an amazing time. I'm not sure if it's because he's not quite worked out what car he's going to have for the full season, but at the moment, he he just genuinely seems to be loving life as a Formula One driver. Let's hope he can keep that
0: enthusiasm about him when he's been eliminated in Q1 for the 15th consecutive weekend, not through any shortcomings on his part, but because of the the machinery. Obviously, we're not expecting a huge amount from Haas this year, although they did have a few little bits and pieces on the car today. They had a, an undernosed cape cropped up, so a few little bits and pieces still turning up, which is encouraging. I feel like, Mark, we should talk about Alpine because there was a certain Fernando Alonso out on track today. Another rookie, based <laughs> on the end of season Abu Dhabi test. Of course, yeah, very, very much uh, qualified as a rookie. Do we have a read on, on Alpine? We can probably take it as a given that Alonso's going to be on it, despite the fact he had that, uh, that injury sustained in the in the bike crash, but that doesn't seem to be affecting him a great deal, if at all. But do we have a real read on Alpine, other than the fact that the uh, box is all a bit bulbous?
1: Um, Did pretty good, um, long runs. It's quite good on the hard tire. Um, it's, it's, but it's in that midfield pack again. It's, it's not, I don't think based, it it hasn't done anything to suggest that it's, um, it's going to spring a surprise. Um, but Alonso was straight into it, uh, straight into the groove as you'd expect. And they, they just worked through their program and it was all about, um, miles and um just long mm, putting miles on it yeah rather than long runs not 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 it didn't do a race sim or anything like that um but uh alfatari did actually alfatari is the only team which uh did a an actual what looked to be an actual genuine uh race sim with uh pierre Gasly in the afternoon um but yeah the alpine mm, yeah it, it looks fine it uh it looks about um about where it was last year and it's the
0: foundation to build upon, I guess. Scott, you were giving Martin Bukowski a hard time earlier today about the uh the bulbousness of the car. What did he let slip about it?
2: Uh, I won't take credit for that. That was the BBC's Andrew Benson. Um but I will um I will gladly relay the answer. You've because... got
0: very similar heads of hair, that's why I got you too confused.
2: <laughs> no, um actually speaking of Andrew, he he wrote a fantastic uh, Murray Walker obituary. Uh, which you can read on the BBC Sport website re- re- really really nice um but no back on uh, on alpine um Gary Anderson sort of had the theory that the only the only crumb of logic would be that it's moving it up moving stuff up to then have more room to play with at the bottom and uh, yeah Martin Barkowski confirmed that it's because they wanted to have i guess tighter packaging is the the best way to put it but it's slimmer side pods um and he said that their solution was to uh repackage some of the internals and move them up high um that 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 has come with some um center of gravity and weight compromises but they believe that the aero gain that you get overall is is worthwhile i assume that that means they've um they've run the numbers and are confident that the shape that big shape means that the sort of airflow over the top of the car isn't going to cause havoc um, at the rear, with that uh, bulbous shape, throwing everything into more chaos. Um, I'm, I'm interested. I'd, I'd like to know more why that had to be their solution to create slimmer side pods. Whether it's something in the fundamental shape of the Renault engine or something that means they can't package it in a different way, because that that they, they are more there are more elegant solutions out there.
1: Yeah, it's almost as if um, they're they becoming more more French and, and doing something different just because it can be done, um, and it's just a bit distinctive. But uh, they do have a, a little bit of a history of I it. Mean, remember, I mean, even, even when different people were there in, in in technical charge, they remember the side exhausts of the um, the Renault um, twenty.
0: What year was that? 12, 11, 12, 2011, Yeah, twenty eleven. A James Allison concept, which he said. They they thought it was brilliant because it looked brilliant when they first tried it in simulation, mm. but they hadn't realised that they'd basically tried it and it was optimised straight away. So they thought, oh, there'll be loads more in this, yeah, and then it just nothing. stopped giving them any more. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, um, I seem to remember it, it caught the the bodywork caught fire didn't it with Nick Heidfeld as he was leaving the pit lane in Barcelona, and um, yeah, they, they they also had the very very wide nose when it was um, unfashionable um, and. That was maybe two thousand and nine. Um, so yeah, they they, they they do have a history, and the 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 cars that won Fernando Alonso the world championship in five and six, they were actually quite unconventional cars as well, very uh, rearward heavy, very, um, really configured around the um, the traction of the Michelin tire. So yeah, the, the, there is a bit of left field thinking in the DNA of that team. So if um, if anybody was going to do something a little bit different. Um, yeah, you would have probably pointed out that you pr- would have probably said it would be the Endstone team, whatever it's called.
2: It's, it's just, it's just. I quite like it in a way. I don't know how good it is, but I quite like it because the cars F one comes into a lot in for a lot of stick now because the cars just so homogenous and there's always the joke of if you if you. If you took out all the liveries off and just had them all in white or black or something, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart. You'd absolutely be able to tell the Alpine apart from head on, wouldn't you? <laughs> You're not confusing that for anything else.
0: Yeah, we're certainly not going to complain about points of difference in the look of the car. So let's hope it works for them. There's some scepticism. Gary Anderson seems to think that there was no compensatory gain lower down for having so much up there. But we will see. The, the stopwatch never lies, and it shall tell its story when... The proper stuff starts at the Bahrain Grand Prix in a few weeks. Thanks very much, Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes, for your insight. Do head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Loads to read there, including Mark's who's really fastest and F1 testing piece. There's lots to read there. Scott Mitchell on how worried should Vettel and Aston Martin be. Gary Anderson looking at McLaren's diffuser and why it isn't really a, a legal question or a loophole, but just what the rules say. bit of a look at the Red Bull different floors they've been testing as well. So there's plenty to read there. And also you could have a look at Gary Anderson's tech Q&A. He did a live text Q&A earlier today so you can have a bit of a look back at that to see what he had to say do check out our sister podcasts including bring back the tens and also if you like a video check out our youtube channel just search for the race thanks for listening and join us tomorrow for all the news from day three of formula one pre-season testing